Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. Dan Moylan here along with Michael Normanson and Phil Hay. This Square Ball and Athletic Collaboration. It's in a new home now, isn't it? That's exciting. Same old tired jokes, Phil. I've shaved for the occasion. Oh, thank you very much. I'm quite branded, though. You are. You are on brand. T-shirts, yeah. And I, we are, I always nick one on the bo- out of the box on the way out. We are on the Square Ball audio feed now. You can also find these episodes, finally, on YouTube. The um, the end of week episodes. We've moved over from The Athletic. Thanks to them again for their, uh, for their support over the last two and a half years. It's ours now, so we can uh, we can go... A little bit looser. I think we always felt like we had to behave slightly when we were on the athletic. Although I think it has uh, it has descended into into <laughs> our into our low quality over the years. You know, we've we've dragged it down with us. Tried your best. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, good to have you along, and good to have you back after the break. We should say the show is brought to you in association with Levi Solicitors. Do you want to do the lines? Oh, should we make Phil do it? Yeah, Phil. Do you know? Do you know about do the lines? Three? Definitely convincing and probate. Wills. Correct. Yes. Those are the three. Ding 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 ding. In which order? Uh, Will's probate conveyance in the three that we've traditionally stuck to. The messaging is going to change in the coming weeks, we have said, um, but you can get a 15% discount on those if you check out the Monday Club episodes of this, um, which I think the um, the URL is levislisters.co.uk forward slash Monday Club. 15% on those, 10% discount on your legal fees on everything else um, in the Levi's suite. Dan said back after the break, have you had a nice break, Phil? Just had your feet up? Nothing, nothing was going on? That's been quite nice. It, it, um, it's quite laid back, minus not having to do 92 miles from Goodison Park, but well done, Michael's feet looking in very good shape, actually. About I have mine. to say, looking at some of the pics on the WhatsApp feed, other people's not so much. Dan did 70 miles or so. Did yeah. very well. I did. I bailed out after day three because my me, me blisters were getting infected again. So mm, Lovely. I needed to make sure that I didn't repeat oh, last happy year. Happy memories of last year when we shared the room for four days. Yeah, terrific, wasn't it? It was It was good fun, actually. I've never never known anybody eat a kebab meat pizza before, but there you go. All I'll say is, if Katie Watkin ever retires from this, who is going to do the foot tending <laughs> for four days? Who's sticking their hand up for that? Yeah. Not me. Yeah, it remains to Mind be you, seen. I can't, I can't smell, so that'd be a good idea. Yeah, you can check out that on our feed as well. There's a, an episode where we debrief the walk about what went on and laughed at some of the uh, the incidents, such as uh, the gentleman in Liverpool. We, me and you didn't spot this, Michael, did we? There's a gentleman in Liverpool who, behind frosted patterned glass, but still it was quite clear, Rob spotted a man wiping his anus. Um, <laughs> Excellent. With a, with a leg up on the window. Still, Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And so, you think it's all about the Beatles. So, right? so we are no longer on the athletic feed, as you can tell. Um, let's get into it then. Take over territory. This has all happened since we um, since we last spoke. So you broke this news Friday last, which was about, it was about quarter past nine, I think it was, because I remember I was hobbling back from Weatherspoons in Halifax, mm. back to the hotel to just go lie down because I wasn't feeling great. And that's when the the, the story went. And it's uh, it's been agreed that the 49ers Enterprises are going to be buying the 56% of Andrea Radrazzani. Take it away. 
Yeah, loads of threads to pull on here. And we haven't spoken, obviously, since then. Um, Broke the story might be a bit generous because a lot of people have been writing about it and we had been as well for for ages. And the the deal, as it turned out, was pretty much, as we said in the the big Radrazani piece, right at the end of the season after the Tottenham game, that final price was going to be, or the final valuation was going to be £170 million for the club, which is, as it will be, um, obviously vastly reduced the club having dropped out of the Premier League. So that was agreed um, on Friday kind of intense last 24 hours of talks up until late Friday afternoon, early evening, got that done and got the two sides in a position where they were confident enough to put out a statement basically saying, essentially saying dealing principle is in place subject to the necessary formalities, which is basically transfer of money and also EFL approval. A lot has been said about the structure of 49ers enterprises and not everybody who's in it is going to have to go through the EFL owners and directors test, but the main core of investors, the main players who will, who are the big money, the people who will have influence when it comes to, you know, strategic ideas and, and everything else, they will do. Um, I'm told it's a, a core of, of 11 people or, or thereabouts. You have this wider group round about it. The, the people refer to it as the added value group, which is athletes and people in more sort of celebrity circles who have put money into this, put money into the pot that 49ers Enterprises have pulled together. But it's if I can say this, it's more nominal amounts. I mean, it's not small amounts of money, but for example, some of them are in for £100,000 and £100,000 is not going to buy you any influence when it comes to strategic or day-to-day decisions at, at Ellen Road. You know, you have the main players in this and Paragmarati at the very top of it who will become chairman and will manage the the overall day-to-day operations. So that's where they are. All being well, EFL approval should come back in the next two to three weeks, I would have thought. I don't think there'll be any great issue with approving the people who are involved. Marathi has obviously already been through the process. Peter Lowy as well was approved uh, for the board at Leeds while um, the club were in the Premier League. So it is new ownership and it has allowed certain things to happen. Just on the price side of things then, the price does not necessarily equate to the money that's been paid. We need to probably nope. explain that. So the £170 million valuation is for 100% of the shares and he's selling yes. 56%, which works yes. out to... My back of the fag packet calculations is about 95 million quid, give or yes. take. So that's the cash valuation of the shares, but there are still things to be adjusted within the price there, aren't there? Such as maybe losses, debts, that kind of thing. Yes. That have, a bit of crew, you know, for example, John Kevin Augustan might be part of that. Yes, you know. yeah, absolutely. Any liabilities that are in there, anything that should be shared, will be shared. Um, so you're right, if 49ers Enterprises were buying from scratch and didn't own a, a single share at Leeds, they would be paying £170 million, but they have already purchased 44% and will now take the, the separate 56 and the 56% is what they're they're paying for. Someone estimated to me that they thought at the end of this, Radrazani would leave with around about £70 million, which is a profit on the, the £45 million that he pay, paid Cellino for the club back in 2017, but it's clearly substantially below what would have been paid in the Premier League. And that was one of the reasons why you know, there was the delay after the end of the season and why it became so so tense and, and so difficult was because there was a part of him, I think, that was just reluctant to go and reluctant to, to let it lie and to say enough's enough and to give it up. But I think circumstances, relegation in particular, made it extremely difficult for him to say. And I don't think it helped either the story about the, the possibility of Ellen Road being used as collateral in a loan to buy Sampdoria um, did not sit well with other people in the boardroom either. The whole idea of him hanging around then, it just, from a narrative perspective, he probably wanted to leave under better circumstances, you'd imagine. But you think where it had got to in terms of the eyes of the fans, that was not 
just not feasible, was it? I mean, if he's hanging around for another year or two trying to wait until we get promoted and so he can leave as a hero again, then it just doesn't look right, does it? It has the vibe of a man trying to talk his way back into a nightclub having been thrown out. <laughs> going, oh, honestly, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. I just need, I'll, t- I'll go sort it out. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to yeah. say sorry. I'm going to say sorry and I'll be fine. Everyone's just like, mate, just come on. It's time to go. It's time to it, leave. It would have been extremely difficult, but you can dig your heels in. You know, nobody can actually force you to sell. The, the circumstances develop where it seems like common sense to do that and, and actually perhaps potentially quite reckless not to do it. But he knew that if Leeds got promoted, the club would be worth considerable some more again. But the way I saw it going this summer, had Radrazani remained in charge, was that they would probably have had to have looked to be self-sufficient. You know, I think they would have had to have operated on parachute payments and fees raised from players who leave. I didn't get the impression that there was a huge amount of money left on his part to to invest in the club. Whereas I think what you will get with 49ers enterprises, and I don't want to overblow this because we'll see what happens as time goes on, but I think you will get working capital injected yeah. into the club. So on top of the finance that you have already via other streams, parachute payments, players sold, you would like to think that there will be shareholder investment which will help with the, the whole project and not um, minor project of getting them ready for promotion push. It's been sort of suggested anecdotally that there's about 50 million quid's worth of transfer liabilities this summer that are payable, which... It's in the accounts. Yeah. yeah it's in the accounts. Oh, is that, that what it that, was? Yeah. Well, well, if you, you look at it, it says that during the next 12 months is around about, I think, £52 million in transfer fees. And if you go back to some of what... Uh, certainly one piece I wrote back in 2020 um, and the question of how was it that after promotion, Leeds were able to commit to deals, you know, Rodrigo, Robin Koch and others, Rafinha at the end of it, which amounted to about £100 million. And one of the reasons was that quite a lot of the payments were back-weighted. So you paid a smaller amount up front and then the more substantial payments for the, the transfers would come further down the line and towards the end of players' contracts. And yeah, if it, that's certainly what it says in the accounts that that, that is what, what would be due. So there would be, I think, a, there will be, I think, a hefty bill waiting for them, yeah. Yeah, so you're looking at about the same amount of money. So the parachute payments are about £44 million, quid, aren't they, for, yeah. for this time? It should be said that it's not unusual to owe transfer fees summer yeah. after summer and to owe money for transfers that were done a little while ago. Most clubs tend to um, to spread instalments over the length of a player's contract. It's quite unusual or, or not typical for clubs to pay up front in the way that um, City did for Calvin Phillips in Barcelona for, for Rafinha last year. Just goes to show that maybe we were like needing that cash at that time in order to fund stuff because we've got all these liabilities sort of piling up so if we wanted to be active in the market last year that was the way to yeah, do it yeah and, and even in the Premier League somebody once told me that their impression of the way Leeds were set up and, and how they were financially was that the the money that was coming in the income they had and the turnover was fine when it came to running the club and paying the wage bill and everything else and, and ticking over but generally speaking every year you would need 30 to 40 million pound minimum from shareholders to allow you to do transfer business to allow you to, to grow and, and everything else so even though the you know, people have the perception of there being huge amounts of cash in the Premier League. You still need a board or an ownership structure behind you that can serve up money when you need it. So what I was angling at, the, the picture I was just trying to paint there was that, you know, your parachute payments are essentially gone based on transfer outgoings this summer. So if you're not going to entirely rely on generating your own funds through sales, as you say, you need you need that injection, don't you, to, to sort of uh, to, to push on. I mean, because you do have a lot, in your favour when you drop into the AFL with the parachute payments, with a turnover the size that Leeds United have got, and presumably now with more working capital, as you say. You also have to get it right, though. And I think the other thing that you can't be certain of um, or can't be presumptuous about is how much money you're actually going to get for the players that you sell. And if it turns out that your valuation of them or 
your expectation of what you would raise in the market is nowhere near as good, then then that creates a sort of shortfall that you need someone to cover. I mean, one of the things that the 49ers liked about Leeds was they actually felt that within the squad, as poorly as it had performed last season and as bad as the results had been, individually, quite a lot of the players were worth reasonable amounts of money and there were players in there who could raise you quite a big sum via transfer fee if, if you needed them to. So I don't think they felt like they were inheriting a hopeless or worthless squad. Competitively, it's not been right and, and it evidently didn't work last season. But that was kind of the part of the thinking of, of going down and, and trying to rebuild was that the, there would be an avenue to cash because some of these players would appeal to other clubs. So from what you've heard then, you feel like we've got more financial flexibility heading into this season now. That's um, how I think it will be, yeah. And as I say, I, you know, be cautious of overblowing that because it's very easy to for new owners to overpromise when they come in and it's very easy before you're actually in the door to say we'll look to do this and we'll look to do that delivering it is more difficult again as Radrazani himself found particularly with redevelopment of, of Ellen Road but I do think that financially they'll be in a better position this summer because of this takeover How do you feel like they're going to attack this season then? Like you said presumably a lot of players are going to go out we'll get onto some of the players in a bit but in terms of the overall picture do you think they're going to try and go at the championship quite aggressively? I think they will be aggressive because I, I think they understand that they can't float around in this league for long and and the vision that they had for Leeds or the idea that they had of it as an investment project and a club that could grow is never going to be realised for as long as they're outside the Premier League. That's where the money is, that's where the potential is, that's where they can turn Leeds from a club that in that division have a value of 400 to 500 million into a club who potentially have a value of, of more than 1 billion. And at that point, you move into a totally different stratosphere. And I think as well, you know, I don't think anybody would cast this as a forever project for 49ers Enterprises. I think even if the club goes, you know, the, the strategy, the blueprint goes to plan, Leeds reach the point where they want to get to and, and that valuation does so. Common sense tells you that you look at the top of the Premier League and you realise that there would come a day where if Leeds were going to step up again and we're going to move forward again, we're going to develop again, then you start to look for richer owners again. And the richer owners seem to be coming more and more from states as opposed to collections of investors or, or groups like 49ers Enterprises. But in the meantime, they will not want to be a championship club for longer than 12 months if they can avoid it. So I think they will be aggressive this season, yeah. Well, and noises in the background to suggest that they're looking at this as a, as a Premier League thing, obviously. Well, take the appointment of Nick Hammond this morning. People will probably have seen that he's come in as, um, as basically interim transfer advisor for them. Um, it's, it's a bit like a temporary director of football. But he, he will be charged with managing recruitment. It's going to be a really busy summer and, and clearly they don't have a director of football because Victor Orta has left. But the plan was always to settle on a head coach, do a head coach and then deal with the director of football's position later, which they're, they're going to do. Even though Hammond is in the door, his contract runs for three months. And what they want is a review, first of all, of transfers and the recruitment department to look at what went wrong, what they could do differently, how they how they should be structured going forward and then make that appointment on the other side of the transfer window, September, October time. October was the, the month that they referenced in the statement this morning, but certainly before the January window. And I think again, moving towards Hammond, I think that what that tells you is that they are at this stage very much thinking about what they do in the short term, You know, very much thinking about prioritising this season, make sure, and make sure they get it right for the start of the season, deal with the players who are here and have to go, deal with the players who have to to come in as opposed to, I guess, trying to take on too much um, in one swoop. 
So head coach, I think, is that process is starting to get there. But the director of football, and we always kind of expected this, the director of football position or whatever it becomes will wait in the background for a, for another day. What do you think of both the approach and the appointment, Michael? It seems fairly sensible, I think, short term, because it, it's clear that there needs to be some more people in the door immediately who can actually deal with this stuff, which maybe if you, you're getting your long term, your dream candidate doesn't happen. And he seems to have a reasonable record from, certainly from his recent time at Newcastle, seems to have had a, done an all right job there. And I'm just, I'm just have a sense of relief, I suppose, that someone is there to do some things, which sounds incredibly basic, but I mean, that hasn't really been the case, has it, to now? So we need people to deal with these things and people who, who I guess, has existing relationships with, with agents and people like that, that you can, you can start to deal with. Warm bodies, Phil. Warm bodies. <laughs> I, I, I don't think... I don't think, again, you you necessarily need to oversell Hammond, but he does have a lot of experience. He was at Reading for a long time. He's worked at Celtic, like Michael says, he was involved in prepping Newcastle for the the January window in 2022, which signed Guillemarish, Trippier and and others and made a a big difference to them. I mean, the money made a big difference to those deals as well. Chris Wood as well. Yeah, Chris Wood, um, not forgetting him, obviously. Uh, But... You know, he, he was involved in that. So he knows he knows the game and, you know, understands what, what will have to be done this summer. And I, I do think it it probably does make sense. The other thing with directors of football, sporting directors, is they're not always easy to recruit rapidly. There's a lot that goes on round about them structurally, a lot that they tend to think about before they come in, a lot that they tend to want when they're, they're, they're about to come through the door to make sure that as much as possible, they've got a high chance of success. I mean, these days... There was a time where people who did transfers were totally in the background and never spoken about. But these days, sporting directors tend to be very public figures, tend to be very visible, tend to take a lot of hammer when things don't go well, Leeds being a, a case in point of that. So it's not always something you can do rapidly. And I think it's probably not something Leeds want to get wrapped up in through the summer. I mean, take like Michael Edwards come from Liverpool. Someone I saw someone tweet a little while back about his LinkedIn, which seems to say something like on a sabbatical or, you know, having a breather whereas you often find with head coaches that go from one job desperate to get into another and just you know constantly constantly after the next gig it's not quite the same and I think in these circumstances what they're basically saying is with Nick Hammond handle the transfers in and out make sure we get to where we need to be in August get a head coach get prepped and then once the transfer window's done and the season's in full flow you've got time to actively decide who's best for that job For some of the I guess more urgent outgoings in terms of the players themselves wanting to get out I dare say the agents have been putting in plenty of work even ahead of um, directors of football being appointed and stuff so where are we up to on some of those do we know well there is a bit going on Tyler Roberts is going to go to Birmingham Um, he was down to leave very much on the list of players that Leeds wanted to move on so it should be some sort of fee involved for him and I think that's that's likely to get tied up Real Betis very keen on Rocker uh, talking about a loan deal there again I don't think Leeds are going to obstruct him leaving but very little beyond that has, has or not a great deal has moved dramatically because they've been tied up in no small way with looking for a head coach they weren't even able to get on with that to any great degree for as long as Radrazani and 49ers Enterprises were wrangling over the uh, finalising terms for the takeover they found Hammond which they've, they've managed to do pretty quickly but there are other things that need to, to happen first. But like you say, it's kind of already the, the middle of June and the head coach process is going to have to end next week because pre-season starts on July the 2nd and that is not far away. 
We'll talk about managers in a second. I just wanted to ask you about Stuart Webber because um, there's been a fair bit on The Athletic this week about that. Uh, the fact that he's left or in the process of leaving Norwich, seeing out his gnosis. Is he a likely medium to long-term candidate? You do wonder. There's, there's a lot of reasons why the, the dots would join there. Leeds fan has been known to tip up in the away end at games from time to time. He's still working for Norwich. He's still on the books at Norwich, but he resigned in March. He has a 12-month notice period. Uh, he's going to stay. There was a statement this week from Norwich which said he will stay in the interim while they find somebody else. But in those circumstances, there has to be scope to, to be able to get him out of there if if you need to. That clearly isn't going to happen immediately, If even if they were to go for him, because Hammond is, is here for, for a number of months now. And as soon as Norwich finds somebody to replace him, and as soon as there's a new structure there, you assume that Weber becomes obsolete um, from their point of view, and, and it's best for, for him to move on. So, one to watch, but I don't think by any means would be the only candidate. Could we see the fabled uh, Weber-Farker reunification? Well, you wondered, didn't you? It was, it was interesting, the timing of that, because Farke, without being in any way nailed on for the job, because they've still got to go through the, the last last process of, of interviewing Ellie next week, he he was sounded out by Leeds, and I think Leeds were pretty impressed by him. I think Leeds liked what they, they saw, hopefully didn't for Michael by mistake, and Michael just went with it. And, went um, really, yeah, well, I went really well. I was amazed at yeah. I was amazed at oh, the stuff I said. We can do the silly impressions on it, and now it's, on our, now it's our show, can't we? Yeah, um, but they... they Really, really undermine Phil's authority. They they liked it actually. Do you know I got I should I should name them as well. I got it sent an email from two guys. One of them Lee Graham. I can't see the other fella's name. Oh Joshua Dale, who emailed both me and Angus Kinnear offering their services for the head coach's job. And I kid you not, the application they sent was incredibly detailed. I can't believe the amount of what they've they've gone into. Is it it football manager fee for stuff? um, It it was somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but bless them, they they honestly honestly spent hours on it by the the looks of things. Um, But to go back to Farke, he, yeah, they they were pretty impressed by him. And he does have the past record of having got Norwich out of the division twice and have done it well um, at the same time, you know, not having scraped it obviously won the title in the first season where Bielsa was at Leeds. And certainly in the first couple of weeks when Kinnear was trying to sound people out, was trying to just put a few preliminary moves in place to make sure that once takeover went through, they could actually try and push the button on some of this stuff or, or push it further down the line quickly. It was focusing on that sort of candidate. You know, people like Carlos Coburn, it's not going to be Steven Gerrard because he's heading over to um, the Middle East by the looks of things. But that seems to be what they... And, and they're not alone in that because you, you've seen Scott Parker um, quite heavily linked with Leicester as well, although they haven't made an appointment either at, at this stage. So a lot of kind of moving parts just now, but we'll wait to see how that falls next week. Are we expecting a fairly, I guess, a fairly boring standard, however you want to phrase it, appointment? We're not going to get a, a Thomas Christensen or someone who, a name that comes from nowhere, you don't think, where people go, oh, hang on, let's get on the Wikipedia quickly. See, I've always wondered whether once 49ers Enterprises got in the door, there was the temptation to do something quite eye-catching, you know, and whether there was a temptation for the first appointment to, you know, to, to kind of push the boat out a little bit. I don't think that's necessarily the advice they've been getting. I think a lot of people have been saying to them, it wouldn't actually be a bad thing for this season to find somebody who can do it, whether it's spectacular or not, whether it's, um, you know, whether it writes headlines and, and excites people to a huge degree, doesn't necessarily matter provided it it works. So I've always erred on the, the side of feeling that, without saying boring, I think conventional might be a fair word. You know, if, if do, you went, do the obvious thing. Yeah, if you went for Farke or if you went for Corbyn or somebody like that, and 
They w- they would have really liked Brendan Rodgers, but Rodgers never buckled from his insistence that he wasn't going to drop into the championship and he wasn't going to take the job at that level. Why did he um, seem so hell-bent on getting Leicester there then? <laughs> well, I suppose you could argue that if they hadn't sacked him, he, he might have... Um, he might have kept them up, but that's uh, that's not one for us, really, <laughs> is it? We've had enough of uh, enough of all that. But yeah, so if it if it was Coburn, if it was Farke, if it was somebody along those lines, I, I don't know what your reaction would be to Scott Parker. But there are two promotions with him as well, albeit with very very good squads at, at Bournemouth and and Fulham. Maybe maybe it's kind of sensible. Mm. Not Scott some, Parker, mm. not some, not me. I, 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 I sort of lean. Yeah. I, yeah, I struggle to love that one, but. Yeah, I, I look at Farker might. and think, well, he's been here and done it and he plays decent football. Um, why not? Yeah. And, and he's, I know he has the failure of the Premier League on his record as well, but it is fair to say that Norwich never had a, a real go at it, did they? They never came up and spent the money that you, you generally accept you have to spend to stay in there. It felt like they were very much accepting, well, this is this is their business model, effectively. We go up, yeah. we get the money, we come back down, we go again. And... So you can look at Weber in, in that light as well. There is You do read a lot of criticism of him down at Norwich and clearly not everything has worked. But I, I do get the impression that some of what he's done has been good and there's no doubt that Norwich in the Premier League is tough to crack. You know, it's not a, it's not a gimme taking them up there and, and trying to survive. And you're right about Farke, he wasn't, wasn't able to do that either. But I don't know. I suspect if he had a different voice and Michael hadn't been parodying it for like <laughs> three or four years... You'd probably be thinking, oh yeah, go on then. Yeah, I mean, my, the reaction towards Farker has been somewhere between, yeah, that makes sense. He's, he's been there and seen seen it and done it, as I've, as I've just said, and, and a, a strife of people who are kind of going, well, that's that's underwhelming. I just wonder, do you think maybe Bielsa has ruined us all in terms of reframing it, expectations it, that, and you think you can get somebody from that level? Yeah, or? that that might be part of it. I think also, football these days, when you get new ownership, you expect there to be this big explosion of everything being incredible and beyond the levels of what you you did previously and I think 49ers enterprises definitely have it in them to deliver that over time but you always have to be a little bit careful of expecting too much of them too soon and I don't know if it it was spectacular with Bielsa but then Bielsa was special wasn't he? Not just special I, but unique in the fact of that I think the project appealed to him in a more sort of visceral way than it might do a lot of managers in the sense yeah. that, you know, it's the, the big one club city, hugely under there was, there was more, like. there was culture to it really, wasn't yeah, there? Like in, yeah. in his head as, as much as anything. I think you could easily get that sort of appointment badly wrong as well. But then this kind of risking absolutely everything, risking any appointment you do, and it's the same with the transfers, the number of transfers you see that you think, oh, that's a good deal. And then it comes to absolutely nothing just because it, because it doesn't, you know, is, um, is the way of the world and the way of the game so I think, put it this way, if it was still Radrizani in charge and Farke was coming in, I think everybody would say, all right, well, yeah, I totally understand that. But there probably is an element, because it's new ownership, of people looking for something that's a bit more shiny. Mm. I think our expectations have certainly been set differently by Bielsa and by the Premier League years, because there was a time where appointing people who've got out of this league before seemed quite sensible. Obviously, it didn't work because the club was a shambles at the time, but like Brian McDermott felt like a very sensible appointment. It's like, okay, did, did well with Reading played all right football. Warnock, obviously, you don't get the style of football, but you do you do sort of buy into the idea that he is a promotion specialist and maybe he get, gets you out of it and then you have to go again after that. But Farker, from that point of view, he's he's pretty good. I've, I've kind of come around to it. And like that season, they went up and we didn't. They were a very good side. Like they, were, they were incredible to watch as well. 
Dan and I were talking about the Saturday night, um, I've, the I've, Saturday I've, night I've, game. I've pulled up the text actually yeah. that um, you sent me this week. But we'll get to were, that in a sec. They were excellent. Like they yeah. did. They, 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 this didn't happen very often in the championship, but they did rinse leads a bit that night. They were well on top. That was a 3-1, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Which was the very very late goal by Bamford to make it not not 3-0. But they deserved to win that and they were dominant team for, unless my memory plays tricks, for a lot of the game. Mm. You know, they looked looked comfortable and I think you came away from that a little bit thinking they'll win the title and and hopefully Leeds do what they need to do and, and finish second in behind them. But they were a good side. Yeah, they were. I was going to say, the, the people who are thinking that Farker's a bit underwhelming from that perspective, you give it a bit of time if he does come in and see where we get. Because, I mean, and yeah. there's the whole, you know, walk before you can run. I think you, you could accuse Leeds in recent years maybe of trying to run before they could walk. And, you know, when we heard Radrazani saying things about, you know, going for Europe within three years or whatever and trying to accelerate everything from that point of view. And I think the biggest takeaway from the Premier League that I've realised in the last few years is just it's a lot harder than you think it's a lot lot harder than you think and let's get there first and then we'll worry about it next do it in stages rather than trying to look ahead three steps it's a really good point we've all been conditioned though haven't we to think about projects and to believe in projects and some projects work exceptionally well a lot of projects don't so it's very possible that people are looking at the options and thinking to themselves yeah but what will this deliver in two years' time, three years' time, four years' time, five years' time, whereas where leads are at the moment, perhaps the, the critical question is, what is this going to deliver over the next 12 months? And it is fantastic if you can find yourself a project like the Bielsa project, which, let's be honest, is never going to be replicated in the same way. You just have nothing ever quite like that. But sometimes with the championship, you do think, just win the fucker. Just win it. <laughs> you know, just win it, get out of it, and then go from there yeah. um, because as we said before I, th- I think you said something like life is what happens as you're making other plans yeah which is what Leeds have been doing recently as uh, I think it was Moscow pointed out on our shows you know the, this, this imagined future that never arrives mm-hmm. um, is what Leeds are, are busy being busy doing like all these players are going to uh, acquire extra value and stuff like that and yeah. we're going to end up probably selling them at about par for most of them in, yeah. we, we've and sometimes down. it works sometimes yeah. it makes total sense and you, your train of thought looks really logical but when it doesn't, as somebody put it to me on Twitter, you're planning for a future that doesn't arrive. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You sent me a, a funny text this week that, um, that made me laugh, just going back to that point. And we were chatting, weren't we, about what Leeds United need to do. And you just said to me, I've more and more come round to the way of thinking that in football, if it works, it's good. If it doesn't, it's shit. Yeah. And that's basically it, isn't it? Yeah. If, if we start winning games, no matter who it is, it's going to feel good. And I, do you know what it is? I, I just want to look forward to going back to Ellen Road. I want to have that anticipation of thinking we yeah. might go and win today. I might see something good. Sometimes there are things that are obviously excellent or obviously not right. And I think the biggest one that jumps out to me on the not right front would be Hockaday. You know, th- there was no <laughs> way anybody could sit and say, oh, you know, could work, could work, but there was no way anybody could sit and say this is quite likely to pay off. This, you know, this is this is going to be a success. It was just too, it it was too much of a shot into nothing. That just like let's see what happens. We'll give this a crack, see how it goes. And you knew that it it wasn't going to work. I think in other situations, certain transfers that are made, certain appointments that are made, you you do think to yourself, well, yeah, you know that that should. That should happen. That that should pay off, and and it does. But you do have situations where, I mean, I I spoke to Ross McCormack this week for a piece that I'm, I'm doing with him, and you know he went to Villa for fifty million quid. Total disaster there. You know, it just did not happen. Did not work for various reasons. But I don't think at the time when you saw Villa sign him, you thought that's a bad move. You kind of thought, oh, well, I'll probably score quite a lot of goals there, and it should be good for them. They'll have a strong squad. They'll go up. Sometimes it it just doesn't click. So you do find yourself with hindsight saying, yeah, that was good because it worked and that wasn't because it didn't. Yeah, yeah, completely, yeah. Football, you can only ever really frame it like, like retrospectively, can't you? That, that's the thing is we, we all sit and say, well, I, I told you so. And, and uh-huh. you, I knew it'd go bad, or in your case. Um, <laughs> yeah. Or I knew it was going to go good. Why were you doubting? And, and, and everything is always framed with the aid of hindsight. Yeah. Always, always. Yeah, I um, agree. And then we sit here and you look into your crystal ball and think, well, Okay, maybe I'll be all right. But that, that doesn't like change. Fire, that doesn't change the fact that you can still analyze things and kind of find and and judge whether or not they're sensible. For for example, Nick Hammond. I mean, the, the transfer window could end up becoming a complete shambles. Okay, so it doesn't work, and they struggle to sell players. Don't get enough money. Players come in, doesn't pay off. Whatever else, but it might be that Hammond coming in and just having this three month window in which you have no responsibility apart from deal with the transfer market. It might be that that really works and, and makes a positive difference to them. And if it does, I think you could say that at the outset, a lot of people, certainly the reaction I saw to it this morning, a lot of people saying, well, that seems fairly, yeah, that feels, seems fairly rational. I, no, I, not a bad move. Yeah, I tweeted out or retweeted a, a video that's uh, doing the rounds. I think it might be a Training Ground Guru who've um, yes. put out a video that it was talking about his time at Newcastle and the amount of churn that had to go on it. And, and it's the window, I say, where Chris Wood came in like mm. January, whenever it was last year. And there's a lot of transition going on in the background, new owners coming in, that kind of thing. Just a, a lot of churn in, in one area. And he came across as just eminently quite sensible. Yeah. So he he wasn't doing the deals. I mean, he wasn't like at the, the coal face 
smashing those deals over the line. But he did a lot of the work on them, and or from what I've read, anyway, did a lot of the work on them. Did a um, did background and so on um, into the players that that Newcastle were thinking of of going at. And it strikes me as a similar sort of situation in that you're you're enlisting somebody to make sure that a pretty critical window goes relatively to plan. He, he struck me as just an an ordinary man doing an ordinary job, which when you know when Alter's got it right, he's got it spectacularly right. Sounds like Notting Hill. Expand. I <laughs> sounds like the bit at the end of Notting Hill. Julia Roberts, ordinary man doing an ordinary job. Okay, and hopefully doing it well. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, and you contrast it with with kind of the the hoping, high, hoping that Moylan kisses him further down the line. <laughs> I've I've no I've, idea what he's referring to. I, I've not seen it either. So I'm, I'm watch it. It's a dreadful film, but I give it a watch. I, I love a little rom com, so <laughs> I might go and give that some attention tonight. But yeah, I was just going to say, just to contrast, and we always in football we always seek the whatever the other is, the opposite of what we've got is what will work. You know, when it starts to fail and you see where Otter's failures started to manifest themselves over the last 12 months and I look at him and I just yeah. go yeah fine he'll do fine <laughs> just because he's not this kind of erratic overly emotional impulsive kind of throw, you know you don't imagine him throwing his phone at the wall for yes. example it's still a gut feeling though isn't it um, and oh, I'm, ba- I'm, ba- I'm based in, entirely on my own personal prejudices yeah which well. is fair enough yeah, yeah which is also <laughs> yeah. What, fo- what football is about but he, he just strikes me as a guy who's just going to come in and do a just do a sensible quite hopefully quiet job Nonto sold for two million pounds. <laughs> what have you done that for? I mean, I mean, where are we with, with players? That is, that is a point to to turn our attention to. Tyler Roberts, as you say, is moving on to Birmingham. Have we got anything in the way of incomings? Any indication which direction Leeds are going to look? Is it is it looking to players from Europe, existing Championship talent? I think I've said before. I think they will try and use the loan market to some extent because you can get some you can get some really decent talent that you wouldn't be able to sign permanently otherwise, but that can can serve you for. 12 months I, I think they will pay attention domestically as well which applies to this and again not wanting to get stuck down this you know this kind of narrow avenue of everybody involved needs to know what the championship is and, and needs that in order to get out of it because that's demonstrably not true and has been contradicted in the past but sometimes it, it can help we, we did a big squad audit piece about two or three weeks ago where we were trying to analyse who's likely to go who's likely to stay I do think that you'll see a lot of the bigger names move on. You know, your guys like Rocket, you know, people might say, well, he's had a poor season, he has. But, you know, the more prominent names in the squad, Rocker, people like Aronson, Harrison, I, I got feeling is that there'll be far too much interest in Tyler Adams to make it likely that, that he will stick around. And others like that. There are some who, who seem to have nailed the colours to the mast already. Christensen, one who, who seems to want to, to stick around, but other guys... Oh, yeah, I thought you'd say that, um, but yeah, others, others like Rodrigo, you would imagine will will move on. If if it is going to be as busy in terms of outgoings as it has been projected, then um, it'll be a hectic summer. So much to do on the release clause stuff. There've been a couple yes. of stories done the rounds of Cock can leave completely for free, and Rodrigo can leave for three and a half million pounds. They both seem like insane ways to structure a deal. If there's any truth in those, well. I don't know how much Rodrigo can go for, but the thing to remember is that he only has 12 months on his deal. So the um, the release clause amount is going to be determined, I would assume, by how much is left. If he had five years left on his deal, you, you can't imagine that he would be going for £3 million, but he is not far away from being a free agent. He's also into his mid-30s and you know is back in the championship, most likely to, to want to play at a higher level. With Robin Koch, he also has 12 months left. My understanding of this is that he cannot leave on a free transfer now simply because they've been relegated. But what's being said by people close to him is that 
he could go on loan. And if he goes on loan for a season, then clearly he's at the end of his deal and then he becomes a free agent at that point and, and can be signed for nothing. The only point in that is that in the meantime, the club taking him on would have to pick up his wages. So it wouldn't be as if there was no cash involved. You know, it wouldn't just be totally free and and and, and nothing to, to bear in that sense. What I can't tell is whether if a loan offer is made, Leeds are obliged to accept it, you know, if they have to accept it. That's certainly what's been indicated, but we'll see um, as time goes on. But as as far as I'm aware, he cannot leave tomorrow on a free. Right. Is there a danger that we are talking about too many people leaving? Don't we need to retain some of them, especially some of the half-decent ones? Yeah, I think that'll be on the minds. It's just difficult because as well as wanting to retain players, you need them to be willing to stay and... There are quite a lot of players who are at fairly important stages of their careers. I mean, Harrison, mid-20s, for example, Tyler Adams, early to mid-20s, World Cup coming up. I always kind of felt with Adams that given that the USA will qualify automatically for 2026 and it might be Marsh who ends up with that job and he's very much in the, you know, right in the frame, Adams, he's been captain in his country, that if it was to be one season in the championship, it might not do him great harm in that sense. But it's easy for me to say. And if he's looking at himself saying, well, wait a minute though, I'm, I've played in the Champions League before and I think of myself as a Premier League footballer, which is totally, perfectly entitled to take that, that view, then it may be that, that he wants to go. So you're right. But I guess on top of that, there haven't been many players in this team who have provided a sort of stable skeleton for it. And it makes you think whether a major rebuild is actually what's needed Either way, yeah. um, I kind of that's, that's the thing. I kind of look at it and I go, "Oh well," you know, with, with a lot yeah. of them, particularly because they're just that relationship that we had with the Bielsa players is just completely yeah. non-existent now. You go, you look at it and you go, "Well, oh, fine." I mean, we, go, yeah. we did a survey earlier this week, just asking ten quick-fire questions about how the land lies, how supporters are seeing everything. Who were the two the two players that at least wanted to to lose? Yeah, Adams think? and Harrison. Adams and Nonto. Nonto. Harrison. Yeah. Harrison and Thud. But I think people will be sensible enough to realise that the chances of Harrison sticking about are probably pretty slim. Whereas with Nonto, with him being so young and yes, massively talented, but you sort of hope that, you know, that you could that you could sort of make your case on that front. And with Adams, I think you'd have to be saying to him, listen, this is all going to be built around, you know, you are going to be absolutely central to this and, and you're somebody who are going to try and try and build the spine of the team and the dressing room around. But on the totally separate front, the retain list was out earlier this week. Joel Robles and Adam Forshaw have both been released from their current contracts, but both have been invited back for pre-season. And whether they come is obviously their decision. They might join other clubs in the meantime. But the door is definitely open there for Leeds to table fresh offers for them at, you would imagine, a reduced rate, particularly with Forshaw because of his um, injury concerns. And and the plan, as I understood it at Leeds, was that they would make him an offer, um, which would reflect... You know the, the kind of struggles that that he's had, so it might be that, that those two stay, but we will see. For the players like Adams and, and Nonto, who you might want to keep around, I mean, from their point of view, their wages have dropped by about half, as you understand it, pretty much across the board. So they're in a position now where, I guess, they'll have an agent on the phone saying, "Well, we can get more than you're on now. We can get more than you were on last season. So if they want you to stay, you maybe need to be looking at a new contract for some people as well, and potentially with agreements in there saying, if we don't go up, I get to leave for X amount. And if we do go up, I get bonuses. And I guess probably in the same way we structured Calvin Phillips to keep him for that extra year. If you're saying that um, getting relegated puts you in a pretty poor compromising um, position uh, or negotiating position, then yeah, it, it generally does. And that 
that with certain players will be where the problem lies. If they start getting offered things that they'd really want to take, you're in that horrible position where you don't necessarily want to lose them, you don't want to sell them, but you're mindful of not particularly wanting to retain somebody who's, whose head is elsewhere. It's tricky. Just thinking, you know, you're saying these players like consider themselves Premier League footballers. Do you think they thought about maybe trying to do that this last season <laughs> and keeping us in the Premier League if they thought they were Premier League footballers? They didn't look like it to me. Uh, there weren't many who looked Premier League standards. And, and yes, I'm no. being facetious. Yes, you are. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, and that will, to some extent, you would imagine, you know, damage damage the stock of some of them and damage their potential to to find really good offers out there. But having said that, I, I think most that we're talking about will find clubs to go to if they need to. I think the disappointing aspect of the players who are potentially on the way out are some of the the young players you have whilst you're in the Premier League, you think, oh, well, we can come back with those people like Nonto, Ruter, Somerville, the people who you, you think, oh, like they they can afford a year there and it maybe wouldn't be bad for their development to have a year there, but they seem to all be the ones that have been linked with moves as well. Yeah, this as well is where you would like to see the academy investment pay off and to see that it was worth spending the money on JB and Perkins and, and others, Matteo Joseph, because I think as we said on the full Asia, if, if it's not working with them in this division um, or if they're not involved to a greater extent in this division, then when are they going to be and um, what was the purpose of it all? I understood them being on the fringes in the Premier League and especially because it wasn't going well. You you do have to be very careful about what you expose young footballers to, but in the Championship, someone like JB in particular, you know, good um, under-20 World Cup with England, always looks impressive when I watch him with the under-21s and, you know, I, I, I know there's a vast, vast difference between the under-21s and, and the Premier League. But you'd like to think that, that they would be able to build to some extent on the, the spine of players that sit at that level. And especially because we're lacking midfielders to such an extent. Yeah, very much so. I mean, that's a, it's a really good point that Forshaw might well stick around. I wouldn't be surprised if, if something is, is done there. But it looks like Rocker is on the way out. If Adams goes as well, you do rather feel that beyond the academy, you're starting from scratch in that area again aren't you it feels like it every summer though doesn't it we're, we're, I'm like sign a left back yeah. striker yeah. left back central midfielder yeah. again yes uh, it, it goes to show you where the shortcomings have been well, again the in the survey you know it? which position is most important to address centre forward central midfield left back <laughs> it's like any summer for the last 300 years ironically enough I kind of uh, I think I did, I did that survey I think but I put centre back I, I want to see a solid defender in there somebody who could stop us conceding goals Pontus Janssen a bit late for that. I think that ship has sailed now. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. I suspect so. But you're right. Again, it, it doesn't feel to me like there aren't like there are many positions in the team that don't need looked at, and don't need addressed. You know, goalkeeper being one without a doubt. Probably, I mean, they've got Drami coming back at right back. They've got Ailing and Christensen. I think they can probably make it work out out of those three. But yeah, you know, issues. Well, question for you, kind of framing it around that, if they are to attack the EFL aggressively, as we were saying, and that's the noises that have been made in the background. The plan is to do so. What does that actually translate into? I mean, we're not getting any details. There's no meat on the bones just yet, but what do you think it means? I think it means having a big enough squad that is clearly big enough to let you cope with the championship. I think it means using your academy players, but not not pushing them in the way that they have, or, or at least not, relying on them in desperate circumstances or to a desperate degree, um, as was definitely the case the season before this one, just gone. You know, but it's you need a lot of depth in the championship 
I think you need players who are either proven to have done it in that division or have played at a level or performed at a level elsewhere, which makes you very confident that they will when they come in. So I guess the opposite of Chilino's Serie B recruitment drive when, when he first came in, he, he I think some of them were, were kind of good footballers and he genuinely thought that they would be adequate for the championship and they won't, you know. They're gonna they're gonna have to spend. They're, they're gonna have to be quite ambitious with what they what they go after, and they're gonna have to stick at it because it's hard to see this being anything other than a window which runs right up to the deadline again. When you look at what um, what Nick Hammond did at Newcastle, which was to oversee the purchase of Chris Wood from Burnley, and it um, whether you, you know whether you think Chris Wood's good enough or not, he served the purpose for a time for them, didn't he? And crucially, weakened the direct rival who was in the relegation mix at the same time. Is there an example there that Leeds can follow that maybe Nick Hammond can bring in to this and try and weaken some other teams in the championship by using our extra um, spending power to sign some of their better players? And we've said before, money goes further in the championship versus what you get in the Premier League. It does, although championship players, the best of them are not cheap. It's become more and more expensive in in that division when you're talking about the, the top of the tree footballers. One of the things I really liked about the Chris Wood transfer and you know this isn't great for Wood himself but was the fact that Newcastle did it because they thought that'll keep us up and then once they did stay up they pretty much started moving rapidly towards the point of saying to Wood look you're no longer needed and you can go you know and and he was off to Forest and and has gone to Forest and there was no messing about with that there wasn't really any sentimentality about well we've only just signed this guy so this is a bit harsh it was a case of no that was for then this is for now he's not needed He's, he's not what we what we're after um, or what we need to rely on if we're going to finish top four and and so we went contrast that with what's happened at Leeds then when Leeds have clung on to things and persisted with things that... yeah but do you know what's interesting when I was talking to McCormack was we we got into speaking about the McContract nickname that he had at Leeds and you know he was having a bit of a laugh about it and everything else and, and telling the story from his point of view but he did say like the discussions about loyalty are in football are Fairly, fairly bonkers because it all depends on who's in the position of strength. And he said, if, if clubs feel like they need to treat players like pieces of meat, then they will. You know, they, they will do it. And at the same time, if players decide that they want to look after themselves or if they decide that they want to take the money or whatever else, they'll do exactly the same. And it's, you know, that is how it is. That's how, I guess, to an extent, it's been for a long time now. Chris would, you know, I mean, got to go, go for is still, still in the Premier League, but that is a club who take you in one January, get rid of you in the next, serves their purpose um, and and off you go. But to a large extent, sometimes being ruthless like that is how you're successful. And because you're trying to bridge such a gap between the EFL and the Premier League, or you know, even the bottom end of the Premier League, the relegation places up to the European places, it's so vast, isn't it? Yeah. So vast that you can, you've got to churn quicker, I think, and Leeds didn't. And you need money, you need yeah. big money, don't you, to, um, to start making substantial claim. But without any doubt, over the past two years, Leeds could have used theirs better. Well, we sit here mid-June. Transfer window is now open. What do Leeds need to do over the next couple of weeks? Do we, do we have a time frame on the completion of the of the takeover? Are they going to aim for 1st of July, which is the first day of the financial calendar, for example, um, in, in well, football? Completing the takeover? Yeah. Well, that I mean, that will be determined by the EFL as much as anything else. So once everything goes through and, and that's... It's not quite how long is a piece of string because it's not going to take six months or it shouldn't do unless um, anything unexpected turns up. It, it should be done pretty rapidly. But that will that will just conclude when it, it concludes. 
the first thing will be to wrap up head coach appointment next week, finish the interviews at the start of next week, make a decision, get it done. And then the players, uh, those who are due back, because obviously some are on international duty, they'll get longer away than um, the group who aren't. But players back um, on July the 2nd, I'm told, but certainly that first week of July and everything goes from there. But I think, well, you know, I've written the story today about Tyler Roberts going to Birmingham. That side of it is going to have to ramp up pretty, pretty sharpish. Do you expect a busy week next week then? I expect a busy week with head coach, yeah. Um, whether or not I expect the takeover to go through next week, I honestly can't say. I was thinking more from a player's point of view as well, because now now we're starting to see, uh, if, if head coach is moving towards a conclusion and Nick Hammond's in place to obviously yeah. transfer business, hopefully they're not going to hang around. No, I don't think hang around, but it might be that um, in getting that done next week, it needs to kick on another week um, in order for it to, to really get going. But it can't be long now, can it? Looking forward to it all again, yeah? Immensely. <laughs> Always. I am really, yeah. There's something quite fun. I know it used to happen every season, didn't it? But there's something quite fun about turning up on an opening day for the, with eight new players in the team and going, well, let's see what happens. Let's see what, let's see what this the, looks the, like. The other good news is I'm away the week after next, or at least I'm off work. Right. So that's when it all blows up. Mind you, as I said, something said to me the other day, it always kicks off when you go away. And I just said to them, it just always kicks off. I was going to say, there's never any yeah. downtime with Leeds, is it? Because we were off for the, like doing the walk yeah. and it was supposedly a week off last week. And then, of course, you get to Friday, everyone's itching for some sort of news, then the news breaks, there's a takeover, and everyone's going, well, what's next? Well, what's next? Is, which is exactly the question I've just asked. It, when I was at the Evening Post going back years, not latterly, because obviously the online thing had completely gone off the scale by then, but you could kind of pick weeks in the season where you knew you'd be safe to go and there wouldn't be much going on and, and everything else. Um, but it's, it's nigh on impossible now, and it was never going to be possible in a, in a summer like this. Right then, um... Let's watch it, shall we? See what happens. Yeah. And uh, reconvene more Monday action then. Like you say, a busy week ahead. Um, is anything going to happen between now and Monday, do you feel? Um, given that the interviews are happening or the final interviews are getting sorted early next week, probably not a huge amount, but let's see. I was just going to ask you about that as well. Does that feel like that's dragged on too long or is that just fairly typical? No, I, th- I think um, it's dragged on longer perhaps than it should have done, but precisely because until Friday of last week, it wasn't clear who owned the club. Yeah. So what, what do you do? <laughs> and, and have 49 has been doing stuff in the background, do you think? I mean, I guess there's only so much you can do, isn't there? When you... I, th- I think there's been masses of preparation for this. I mean, they've been in the door since 2018. It's not as if they're new to the club or, or anything like that. But yeah, they they will have done a lot of preparation. But it's not, it's not always in your gift, is it, to do what you want to do. So for example, if you say we'll go for Brendan Rodgers and then you get in touch with Rodgers people and they say, well, he's not managing the championship, bye. Um, I don't think it, don't think it really went like that. But, um, you know, if the, if the message is, no, he's, you know, he, he just doesn't want to do that, he doesn't want to take that position in, in that league, then you can't, you have to, to think again. So it's probably taken, it's, put it this way, it's taken about as long as it could have taken because... Mm it can't actually go beyond July the 2nd. They've got to have somebody in for that point. Exciting times. Nervous times? No. Too, early, too early to be nervous. I was going to say too yeah. early for that. Yeah. It's June. <laughs> <laughs> like you say, it never sleeps. Right, well, we'll wrap the show up there then. Back on Monday, you and I, Phil, and we'll, uh, we'll have another chat and, uh, and see where it's all heading then. We'll speak to you soon. The Square Ball Podcast. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.